What up, family? This is a sermon from the downtown congregation of Park Church. May it bless your soul as you dig deeper into God's Word. More resources and info are online at parkchurch.org. All right, all right. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 says, By grace through faith. And you were dead in the trespasses and, and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and, the, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you You have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God be prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Thanks be to this is the word of the Lord. Amen. All right, welcome everyone. One more time, my name is Matt Hand and one of the congregational pastors here with Miguel. I'm coming over from Grace City, so if I haven't met a bunch of you, that's, that's why. Um, I think God is, God is at the beginning of something very special here downtown, so to commemorate this, if we could just get a selfie here. Don't blink. Yeah, you can cheer, you can, okay. I think I got a couple blinks, but that was pretty good. Um, I think we'll look back on this moment and just commemorate how good God has been. Um, Just a quick reminder, I know those of you who are coming from Park, you probably know this, Great City people, you already know this, but um, help us out. We can get more people in here safely if you just remember your mask during the service. If you're drinking coffee or sipping on something, that's totally fine. Like, pull it down, but you're not at a restaurant with your pack of friends, so don't just, like, sit there for the next hour and be careless. We just want to do a simple thing to love one another well so that we can bring more guests in um, safely. So just remember that. Um, This morning, we're going to start a a very important four-part series because when you're at the beginning of something and you're new to something and we're all starting in the same place, very often a question that people would have, rightly so, is who are we? And so we want to do a four-part series on identity. And those of you who are coming from Park, you may say, I'm I'm more familiar with this. Some of you from Gray City would say, I'm very familiar with this. Um, We haven't necessarily used all of the exact terminology for some different things. But I want to begin with our mission statement at Park, which is simply, we exist. Why does Park Church exist? What is the ultimate purpose, the ultimate goal? We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God and the joy of all people. And since disciple, if you're saying we exist to make disciples, and that's an obsolete word. We don't use that word very often. And so Park Church actually defines that for us, okay? A disciple is someone who has been made alive by the grace of God and is learning to follow Jesus in rhythms of worship, 
community, and mission. And so as simple as that statement is, what I want to do with you this morning and then over the next few weeks is this morning we're going to talk about the grace of God. What gets us into the discipleship program of Jesus in the first place? It's the grace of God. And then each of the next three weeks, Miguel is going to come and talk about or worship next week. And then we're going to talk about community. We're going to talk about mission. And just so we're all uniting around some basics. And if you're very familiar with these things, that's fantastic. If you're like, this is the first time I'm hearing any of this, again, we just want to seek out a common starting point for what God wants to do here. And this is the common starting point. So let's pray and we'll be off and running. Father, we just pause again to, to thank you, to just, just pour out praise. And it is exciting to, to look around this room and to not just see, but to experience the joy that people are experiencing because you are doing a new thing. And Lord, we certainly stand on the shoulders of many other churches and believers who have gone before us into downtown of our own city and we are so grateful for them. We are not the first and we are not the best. We are so grateful to be a part of a bigger family. And we are so grateful for the way they have sown for generations down in these neighborhoods to introduce people to Jesus and to make disciples. Um, but Lord, you have called us here. And you've called us here for this time at this place, and we're excited to ask you not just to work in a general sense in our city or in our world, we're asking you to work in our hearts, we're asking you to work through us to introduce people to the grace of God and to see them come to know you and be set free from so many things. So let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer, amen. So Sierra read for you this morning one of my favorite texts of scripture. You may be still turned there where it is outlining the backbone of our Christian faith, where he says, when we were spiritually dead in sin with nothing to offer God, because dead people don't offer anyone anything, he says, God made you alive in Christ. He says, salvation is not the result of your work for God, your performance for God, but it's rather the result of God's work for you, simply received by faith. He says, though we deserved punishment, God turned his kindness on us instead and gave us the free gifts of forgiveness, pardon, and eternal life. And the Bible has a word for all of this, and it's the word grace. Some of you have heard the little acronym, grace means God's riches at Christ's expense. But I'm wading into something dangerous this morning, and we were praying on the rooftop before the service of just, this word is so familiar to many of you, you could hear the richest sermon in the world. And I don't mean what I say, but I mean the content of God's word and just be like, yeah, I knew all that. So instead of going to Ephesians 2, which Sierra read, it's a beautiful text, I want to, instead of defining grace, I want to illustrate it. Because grace is like love, where when you start trying to define love, you ever done this for your kids maybe? Like, Dad, what is, what is love? And the more you start defining it, it's just kind of falling apart, and it feels like a hot mess. But you know love when you see it in action, and it's a beautiful thing. So what I want to show you is kind of three snapshots of God's grace working in stories in the Bible. And what we're going to see from this are these three main points. Workings of grace. In other words, what God does for us. Expressions of grace. That is how we experience that grace as the receiver of it. And then implications. Because something that's important to Park Church 
is that we don't just fill your head with great teaching and good theology, but rather that we say, so what? What do I do to be a follower of Jesus with what you just said? Okay, so we're gonna end there. So this morning, and you can turn to these if you want to, point one, workings of grace. And again, I wanna be very clear that I'm not inviting you to work, work, work. That's what religion does. Religion says work and earn and get what you think you deserve through your performance. And that's like inviting us to get to the moon by running on a treadmill. Religion is like inviting you to get to the moon by running on a treadmill. And you can run and you can run and you can look around you and be like, I run faster than people around me. And I feel very self-righteous about that. Um, But you're exactly where they are. And even if they just flat out quit and just roll off the back of the treadmill, you're, you're barely ahead of them with all your effort. So what I'm talking about when I say workings of grace, I wanna show you a few ways God works for us in and by his grace. And story number one is the story of Hosea and Gomer. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go into depth on any of these three stories, but I invite you to write these down, go back to them in your own devotional time, in your small groups this week, and really sort through, wow, the grace of God. So Hosea chapter one, verse one, we're introduced to a prophet by the same name, Hosea. And it starts like this. The word of the Lord came to Hosea in the days of the kings. So the word of the Lord came to him. And this is a way of saying he's called to be a prophet. And a prophet is simply someone who speaks on behalf of God to other people. Now, before we get to verse two, which I'll get to in a minute, you have to imagine this conversation between God and Hosea that happens before verse two. So God comes, and between verses one and two, here's the conversation I'm imagining, okay? God says, Hosea, I need you to go to my people Israel and warn them that they are in grave danger because they have forsaken me. They have turned aside to other gods. They are idolaters. They are spiritually and morally adulterous people. They are rebellious. And I want you, Hosea, to call them to repent. And Hosea says, wow, that's tough. But okay, Lord. You know, you've you've called other prophets before me. You'll call other prophets after me. This is not an easy task. But I will tell your people that they need to repent. And then God says, well, hold on. There's something else. I want you to remind them of my love. I want you to show them that my love is steadfast for them. And he's like, okay, that's a a better part of this message. I'm liking this better. And he says, well, well, hold on, because there's something else. I don't want you to just tell the people about their sin and about my love. I want you to actually show them. And Hosea's like, okay, all right, I got it. I I can do that. And and God says, great. So here's what I'm thinking, Hosea. I'm going to need you to get married. Because the illustration that I want to show my people is marriage. And Hosea is like, marriage, wow, that, that is a big commitment. That's, that's forever. But okay, I, I got a girl in mind. Comes from a good family, good character, good work ethic, easy on the eyes. I can do this, all right. And God says, hang on, I, I know who you're thinking, but that's not who I'm thinking for you. And now you come to verse two, where God says to Hosea, go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So you need to understand what God is saying to Hosea. The only way my people are going to understand the intensity and the duration of my love for them is if every day they see walking around the preacher and the prostitute. 
And what I want you to do is I want you to go to her, this woman named Gomer, and I want you to choose her even though she's living in sin, even though she's a woman of ill repute. She's gonna do nothing for your reputation, but I want you to choose her. And as the story goes, he chooses her and they're married and they have three children with really weird names. That's basically another warning of like, if you don't turn, bad things are gonna happen, but the Lord wants to show mercy over you. And then we come to chapter three, verse one, and we're picking up the story and it says, and the Lord said to me again, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes and raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. And here's the picture, God saying, Hosea, go to a woman you would never choose and choose her and love her faithfully. And when she returns to sin, and the picture in Hosea 3 is what we would today in modern terms say, she's being sex trafficked. And he's saying, you need to go choose her again. And by the way, the price of a slave in that day was 30 shekels of silver. And the reason I think that he's paying 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley is because he didn't have 30 shekels. All he had was grain. And he's going and making a sacrifice to choose her back. So this is my first point, my first illustration. The workings of grace, you were chosen by grace. God chose you. When he, when he looks down, he's not thinking, okay, who's the smartest? Who's the best? Who's the strongest? Who, who do I want on team Jesus? Because with them, I can build a winning program. He's just saying, I just simply choose you because of nothing in you. And in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul actually says, God didn't choose us because we were the best and brightest. Very often, he did the opposite. He chose those who were weak. He chose those who were nothing so that the glory can go to him and people can realize, wow, this is not like other religions. This is a God of grace. Okay, so that's story number one, Hosea and Gomer. Story number two, let's fast forward a bunch of years, and this is gonna be in Matthew 27, not just to the life of Jesus, but actually to his death. So most of you probably know who Jesus of Nazareth was. He was a rabbi, which means a teacher. He was an itinerant preacher. He was a miracle worker. He claimed to be the son of God. He claimed to be the Messiah. This is getting the religious leaders of his day all worked up because Jesus was the real deal. There was no pretense, no hypocrisy, no double talk. He just, justice and mercy wherever he went, truth and grace wherever he went because he was and is God. And so the religious leaders are getting together and saying, we are jealous, we are envious, we hate him. All the people are going after him. Nobody's listening to us and our interpretations of the law anymore. We've got to kill him. And so they did. So they plotted together with the Roman political leaders and they condemned Jesus to be crucified. So this is Passover, the, the highest and greatest feast of the Jewish people in Jerusalem. And I'm picking up reading Matthew 27, verse 15. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas, which interesting enough means son of the father, Bar Abba. Abba, father, Bar, son, son of the father, Okay. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ, which means Messiah. 
for he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered Jesus up. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, this is verse 20, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they said, they, they all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. This to me is one of the most powerful stories of grace in the Bible because it's this clear cut, it's this graphic. On the one hand, you have a notorious criminal that the gospels tell us was a murderer and guilty of sedition. On the other hand, you have Jesus Christ, innocent, pure, holy, righteous, kind, good. And they all get together and they say, let's kill the sinless Messiah. But it's more important than that because you understand this day in that place, this criminal named Barabbas is pardoned. He goes free because Jesus was condemned. Pilate, sorry, Barabbas lives because Jesus died. And here's the punchline. I am Barabbas and so are you. Okay, can, can, can you see yourself in that place saying, I am guilty of things in the law of God. And, and I can try to skirt around it, but the fact is I am guilty and I stand condemned. But there's this day where Jesus comes and he says, I'll die for another son of the father. I'll take your place. And so friends, secondly, not only are you chosen by grace, but you are also pardoned or forgiven by grace. And you may say, I haven't sinned as much as other people. I can compare myself to others and actually feel quite good about myself. But the reality is we've all sinned and fallen short of what God requires. We've all earned punishment and the Bible says that punishment is death. But this is one of the great glories of the gospel that Jesus did for all of us what he literally did for Barabbas and he said, put their sin on me. I will take the punishment. I will pay the debt so that they go free. You are pardoned by grace. And then story number three from Luke 15, a favorite story in the Bible that even if you're, if you're like, I am biblically illiterate. Well, you've heard the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. And I'll just recount it for you real briefly. Father... Big landowner has two sons. He has an older son and he has a younger son. The younger son comes to him one day and says, Father, give me my share of the inheritance that I can go live the way I want to with my friends. Now, in that culture, when the money's all tied up in the property, that means the father actually has to sell some of his property to, to, to liquidate some cash to give to his son. And this, in that culture, everyone understood when you say, give me my inheritance now and daddy, you're still alive, it means I wish you were dead because I don't want you, I want your money. And the son leaves and he goes away to a far off place and it says he just squanders this money with reckless living. Probably drinking and fornication and all kinds of things that people come to the city for these days, okay? But then a famine strikes, he runs out of money and when he runs out of money, he looks around and realizes, I don't have any friends. Like nobody likes me. Nobody's here for me. 
They were here because I represented a temporary good time, and now that the money's gone, they're gone. And he hits rock bottom, and he finds himself as a Jew feeding an unclean animal, swine, pigs, eating the husks that he's feeding the pigs because he's starving to death. And then he has what one theologian refers to as an attack of sanity. The Bible says he comes to his senses, and he says, how many of my father's day laborers In other words, he goes to the market, he hires them. He says, I'll pay you this amount to come work my fields this day. And he's like, how many of them are better off than I am as a son of the father? And he starts rehearsing this speech of telling, Father, I've sinned against you and against God. And he starts walking home. And what's incredible about this story as you know it is that what he doesn't know as he's traipsing home in shame, covered in the filth of his own sin, He doesn't know the father standing on the front porch looking down the road for him. And so the moment he comes around the hill or comes around the corner or whatever this is, the father sees him afar off and he does something that a Jewish man would never do, like hikes up his skirts and he takes off running because that was a shame for an adult Jewish male to run. But he doesn't care about his shame. He cares about his son's shame. He wants to cover his son's shame. So he takes off running to his son and just throws him in his embrace. And this is a really cool part of the story as the son's trying to, to get out this apology story. Like, dad, I know what I, and the father's like, hush. My son was dead, now he's alive. And he tells his servants, let's, let's throw the craziest party that anybody's ever seen. Let's clothe him in, in the robe of a king. Let's get him the best sandals. Let's put a ring on his finger. Let's kill the fatted calf and let's party long into the night. And this is an important point from this story that not only are you chosen by grace and pardoned by grace, but friends, you are adored by grace. Yes, you're chosen. That's amazing. Yes, you're forgiven. That's amazing. But God wants you to hear this. You are loved. You are treasured. He sings over you as his children with joy. He's not perpetually disappointed with you. He delights in you by grace. So here's what I want to say about these three stories. If you're a Christian, if you're a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, it's because of one thing, the grace of God. He chose you. He's faithful to you when you go astray. He paid your debts for you. He forgives you. He pardons you. He adores you. He delights in you. And this is why I say Christian discipleship must orbit around the free grace of Jesus Christ. And this is your one big idea for this morning. This is your one big idea for Park Church downtown. Following Jesus begins with and is shaped by grace. That's the whole story. How did I get into this relationship? How did I get into this church? By God's free grace. Now what do I do now that I'm here? Well, in the same way that I received it, so I walk in it, okay? Now, now quickly to point to expressions of grace, and what I'm gonna do is just go right back through those three stories and just give you one simple snapshot, just a moment each of how do we experience that. So story number one, if Hosea's pursuit of Gomer as an adulterous prostitute is a picture of God's grace, then what is God trying to show us? He's showing us grace expresses itself in unconditional love. Okay, human love is like this. And I'll just use uh, dating and marriage, okay? 
If some of you are dating right now, don't, don't be too shocked by this. Just, just play along. Be like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm guilty a little bit, okay? What we do when we're dating is like we, we look for someone and we're like, I like you. And then it grows and grows and grows and eventually you're like, I love you. And uh, guys, if you're out on a date, your girlfriend or your wife says, why do you love me? Um, let's just acknowledge you're screwed, okay? Why, but why do you love me? Because you, because. I, I, love you, I love you because you make me laugh. I love you because you're, you're nice to other people, and I've seen that. Yeah, I love you because you're smart. I love you because you're successful. I love you because you look good on my arm. And anytime we, with human love, say, I love you because, here's the danger, what happens when that condition is no longer met? When the condition's gone, the marriage is gone, the relationship is gone. And you know this in friendships too, even if you're not dating, even if you're not married, you know you love certain people for certain reasons or they seem to love you and then you're like, I said one thing wrong or I missed this thing or All right, I got this pattern in my life and they're like, I don't stop. Like, I don't wanna be friends anymore. I don't love you, I don't care about you, leave me alone. But we need to understand God's love with the story of Hosea and Gomer, that God is saying, I love you because I chose you. And I chose you because I love you. And you're like, yeah, yeah, but that's, that's a tautology. So what else is there? And he's like, that's, that's kind of the whole deal. I love you just because I love you. So b- because you didn't earn my love by doing something, you can't lose my love by failing to do that thing. So what that means is God's saying, I'll never stop loving you. I love the way the Jesus Storybook Bible puts it, the the never stopping, never giving up, unfailing, always and forever love of Jesus. But that's grace. You have to have grace to love that way. And grace is expressing itself in unconditional love. It means God will never walk away from you if he's chosen you and pardoned you and adores you. He will never walk away because there was no condition for you to meet in the first place. What good news, right? Story number two, and I'm gonna flip the order here for just a moment. Story number two, the, the, the story of the prodigal son. If the father's posture toward the prodigal is a picture of God's grace, then what is God trying to show us? Well, it's showing us number two, the second expression of grace is that grace expresses itself in undeserved favor. And, and, and mercy is basically, and by the way, God is both merciful and gracious. But mercy, if you were going to nuance the, the words a little differently, n- mercy is like withholding the judgment that someone deserves. Grace is like heaping blessing upon them and favor and honor and glory and joy that they didn't deserve. And that's what you see in this story. And, and, and by the way, in context, you know who Luke 15 is really about? It's actually not about the prodigal. I don't like it being called the parable of the prodigal son. It's a parable of two sons because all these religious leaders are sitting there with their arms full and they're like, Jesus welcomes sinners. You seriously don't understand that woman doing that to your feet as a prostitute? Like, what's his deal? Because the person who gets worked up in the story of the prodigal son is the older brother because he sees the favor being given to his younger brother and he's like, are you... Are you punking me right now? Are you kidding me? Like, I've always been here. I've always done your stuff, Dad. I've always done the law. 
I've always honored you. And the father's like, right, which is, which is why you have everything that's mine. I favored you too. But my son was dead and now he's alive. And it's my prerogative to party if I want to. Because that's what grace does. He's not sitting there thinking like, what do you deserve? If I were to repay you exactly what you did, or let's think ahead. If I give you this, I've seen what you do with my money. Do I think you'll ever repay me? He didn't go into any of that. He just says, undeserved favor. Undeserved favor. And then story number three, if Jesus' death in the place of Barabbas is a picture of God's grace, then what's God trying to show us there? He's trying to show us that grace expresses itself in an unfathomable exchange. Jesus was righteous, sinless perfection. He deserved only blessing as the son from the father, full of grace and truth. At our best, we are a mixed bag of different motives, words, attitudes, actions, and reactions. And I like to use this illustration. So I've got two books up here. One of them is called The Story of My Life by One Direction. No, this is the story of your life. So just, just, picture, just picture this is your story and every time you do anything, God is writing your story, but he's not, he's not writing it in the narrative sense of it's determining your future. He's just simply recording, if this is the story of your life, today you thought these things, you did these things, you reacted these ways. Um, you're, you're this mix of emotions, actions, reactions. You, you knew that you were doing wrong and you chose to do it anyway, so I'll put that in your book. So, um, and by the way, if God were doing that with a literal book, um, how many of you would just leave that book laying around for someone else to come pick up? Oh, what did Matt Hand do today? Holy cow. Thought he was a pastor, you know? We would not leave that book lying around. And, and if all God does at the end of your life says like, okay, you lived a full life, you did a lot of good things, good for you. Um, but at the end of your life, I'm just simply going to give you what you earned from the story of your life. We would all get death. We would all get separation from him. So then there's another book, and this is Jesus' Life. And this is like the gospels that they're, they're telling us Jesus thought these things. He emoted in these ways. He acted and reacted in all these other ways. And there's, there's a story being written, okay? So I don't want you to think of this as like Jesus and Barabbas anymore. I want you to think of this as Jesus' story, my story. And do you understand this unfathomable exchange is that when Jesus goes to the cross, here's what he's doing. Here's exactly what he's doing. He's saying, okay, that's the story of your life. All right, I get it. Story of your life, okay? Lots, lots of bad stuff in there. Here's the story of my life. And he's like, okay, so I'm gonna take your story and, and I'm gonna do this right here. And now, now your life and your story says Jesus' life. And, and what I'm also going to do is I'm gonna take your story and I'll make it my story. So the story of my life. And, and why is he hanging there dying on a cross? Because he says, take their record and write it on my record. Take, take my record and write it on their record. Done. Justification. You are declared righteous because the story of God, the story of Jesus has been written over your life. And he did this for you. And no other religion even, yeah, Amen. No, no other religion even pretends that there's an unfathomable exchange of identities where he says, I'll take your junk and I'll take everything that you deserved and I'll give you the benefits of my story. That's the exchange, okay? 
Now, now just a moment in closing. So what? Implications of grace. I want to give you just three things to pray here in a couple moments. First of all, let grace inspire humility. Paul would say it like this, the Apostle Paul. What do you have that you didn't receive? Nothing. The, the, the breath that you're drawing right now to like listen and be here to worship and then hopefully enjoy Jesus is a gift. Your, your status and station in life, I, I get it. Some of you are really hard workers and I'm, I'm glad for that. That's better than being lazy because God called you to hard work, not as a way of earning, but as a way of realizing I've been brought into a family that's worth working for. So humility, humility toward God first and foremost of I can't believe that you, you did this thing. You, you knew all my stuff. I left my book out one day. God read it. He's like, wow, that's not good. Um, let me pay for that. By the way, years ago, um, I was a college pastor back in South Carolina, like part-time, very, very part-time. Um, before that, I was a sponsor with the college class, and we did this thing once a, once a summer called Lake Day. So it's like you, you find the richest guy at your church, right, that has the lake house, and you go there and you all hang out, and you grill, you grill way too many burgers and hot dogs, and you ride in his boat and stuff like that. So before all the kids got there, I was like, oh, I'll come early and help set up. Um, and then my friend and I saw these two jet skis down there, and we're like, oh, who, who's are the jet skis? And this guy, Larry, said, those are, those are my jet skis. And we're like, hey, can we ride them before all the kids get here? And he's like, yeah, you guys are sponsors. Like, I don't want all the college students riding them, but, but you guys can ride them. And uh, so th this is my first time on a jet ski. But I learned real quick that when you turn fast, like at the last second, you can throw this big wall of water on someone. I was like, man, that's fun. So we, Scott and I got out in the middle of the lake and we were racing like right at each other playing chicken kind of thing. And then turning at the last second and just throwing water all over each other. Well, about five, six times into that, I didn't turn fast enough. And so the bottoms of our jet skis like just smacked into each other. And there was this big gouge. And I was like, oh, snap. And I, you know, take it back in. And I'm like, hey, Larry, uh, I did this thing to your jet ski. And I, I, I got to pay for it. And I know um, this was bad. And he's like, yeah, I was sitting on the patio watching you guys goof around. Um, he's like, but, but tell you what. He's like, you're, you're here to have fun. So he's like, I got plenty of money. Like, let me take care of that. And you just go have a fun time. Man, I had a hard time looking at that, that guy in the eyes ever again. Because well, it was so humbling, you know? When you're like, no, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll re I, I know I'm in seminary. I'm working like three jobs and doing this, but I'll repay it someday. And he's like, no. But this is our posture before God. It's just like, you've been so kind. You've been so good. Let me walk before you in humility. But... I want to also say, also humility toward others. Because if you have received grace, then you know that everybody else needs grace, and people in need of grace should err on the side of giving grace. All right? 
The, the reason we are incapable of giving grace to other people when they sin against us and hurt us is because we lose sight of the fact that I first was and am a person in need of grace. And if I can remember that and just rehearse that story and be a, uh, this next point, be in awe of this story, I can walk in humility. I can take the log out of my eye before I try to do surgery on your eye to get the speck. So let grace inspire humility. I said, secondly, let grace inspire awe. And when I just skim over the tops of these three stories from like a 30,000 foot level, aren't you just in awe of the grace of God? Like, like to Homer? Homer. That's from The Simpsons. I just mixed Jose and Gomer and I knew in rehearsal I was gonna do that. Gomer. See, God's grace is over me. It's fine. I knew I was gonna do that. Uh, Gomer. Barabbas. The prodigal. Um, and the problem with our culture is like everything's awesome, so therefore nothing is. But what I'm saying is these, these stories, these illustrations of God's grace, and when we realize I am Gomer, I am the prodigal, I am Barabbas, it, it awakens a sense of wonder, like a childlike wonder and amazement with the grace of God. So let it inspire all. And then finally, let it inspire mission. Because friends, if God chooses and God pardons and God adores, then as you walk through the streets of the city or drive or go to work or have this relationship or that, who do you think is unsavable? Like, is there a category of person or a particular person? You're like, that person annoys me so bad they would never, why would they never? If it's of grace, that means God could do it with anybody. And the fact that it's his story from beginning to end to say, I'm inviting you into my story by grace and how do you stay here? How do you stay in my presence by an ongoing continuation of grace? That ought to inspire, God, you're telling me to go live on mission, but you, but you wouldn't even have to tell me that. Like I've received this amazing gift, which by the way, is not a commodity. It's not like there's a hundred grace and I got three of them. And if you get some, I get less. Grace is the essence of God's character. So he can give and give and give and give and it's never diminished and he can keep on giving to everyone without limit, okay? So let grace inspire mission. And that theme one more time, following Jesus as Park Church downtown begins with and is shaped by grace. What do you want to see God do over the next month? Just preview services. What do you want to see God do? What do you want your experience to be of God? What do you want other people in the city? What do you want their experience to be of God? Because following Jesus begins with and is shaped by grace. Let's bow our heads for just a moment before we take communion together. And uh, I want to just bring it back to these three implications, and that the Spirit may be so kind as to press other implications and applications on your heart, but I'm saying at least these three. Are you humble? Are you in awe of God? And are you on mission for God? And if not, maybe just pray right now and say, Lord, I confess that if grace is just a concept, it doesn't do these things for me. But when grace becomes my personal experience, when I feel the chains fall off, 
when I feel the weight of my debt removed and paid by another so I can go play with the college students, then I'm in awe, then I'm humbled. Then I understand why you call me just simply to go and share good news with other people. I mean, my goodness, we, 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 act like, we act like God told us to go tell people that we're awesome and they're not. That's, that's scary. Well, that, that should be scary. But he, he said, go tell them that I'm awesome and show them why. And show them that I love them just as they are. That I choose them unconditionally. That I favor them by grace. That I've done this great exchange in their lives. And they just receive it by faith. I'll be silent for just a moment, but just pray and confess before we go to the Lord's table and remember his death on our behalf. Now, just a word about communion. Um, Jesus called us to remember his death until he comes, and he gives us two symbols, bread, symbolizing his body broken for us, and the cup, which symbolizes his blood shed for us. And maybe even grab onto one of these stories or metaphors. I think of the Barabbas one, most naturally, of like, this should be my body, this should be my blood, dead and gone. But it was his in my place. And uh, we're, we're all new here. This is the first meeting of Park Church downtown. So let me just say very clearly, you don't, you don't need to be a member here or a regular attender, but this is for those who follow Jesus in faith, okay? And um, in the future, I think what we're gonna do is, I don't have them for you this morning, but in the future, if you're, just, if you're searching, if you're like, man, I wish I believed that, but I'm not there yet, then in the future, we wanna put prayers up here that maybe you just take some of these words and just say, Lord, I'm searching. And if you are real, and if you are different than all these other religions, or just better than what I'm doing on my own, like, please show me. Please be real to me, okay? Um, just logistics, and I won't say this every week. There are two seals on top. These things are tricky, and we're eager to get back to something post-COVID that's a little easier to deal with and a little bit more representative of, like, flesh and blood. Um, but the little clear one you have to take off to get to this little wafer, okay? And then you take off the silver seal. And um, again, I won't say that every week because I know that's distracting, but I also know you'll sit there and struggle with it if I don't say that, all right? Um, yeah, did everyone get one that wants one? We can have an usher bring one around to you if you just slip up your hand and leave it there. Um, let's look to the words of 1 Corinthians 11 where Paul, the apostle, is teaching a church what do we do with this? And he said, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, 
you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And Jesus, we thank you again, just a moment before we worship again in closing, we thank you again for this death. That it is, it is foolishness to the world and yet it is the, the wisdom and power of God that you would send your son to live the life we should have lived and to die the death we should have died to literally do this exchange of stories so that no soul can boast before you, but we just fall on our faces in humility and awe and say, thank you, Jesus. We worship you. Amen. Thanks for listening. Park Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and for the joy of all people. If you enjoyed this, make sure you share it with someone. We'd also love to hear from you on social media. Find us with at Park Church Denver. Lastly, more resources and info are available online at parkchurch.org. Peace and love.